Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on international business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 22. Today we go all the way, or all the way, yes, we go all the way to Dubai in the Middle East where we have Alexander McNabb. Alexander McNabb is a publishing digital media and communications consultant based in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. In his spare time, he writes thriller novels. In this interview, we talk about what it is to be an expat in Dubai and seemingly that everybody seems to be an expat in Dubai. What it is that these two Western and Middle Eastern cultures makes to be able to live together in terms of cultural differences or maybe not so cultural differences. Let's get right into the interview. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Alexander. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. Blue skies and sunny as usual. As usual. <laughs> How boring. Yes, yes. It's, it's boring because, well, because it's, it's like 364 days uh, the sun shines uh, and you're in Dubai, isn't it? Uh, very much the case. I have to go back to England every winter to get some rain. Oh, okay. All right. Sort of to fill up on the rain. Alexander, do I call it Alexander or Alex? How, do, uh, how would you like to be addressed? Alexander's good. Alexander will do fine. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Alexander. Um, where do you come from? Where are you now? We know that you're in Dubai. And what is your cultural frame of reference? Uh, I'm a British expatriate. I've lived in the UAE for 21 years now. I originally came across here working for a publishing company in computer publishing. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and um, I had traveled around the Middle East quite a bit before deciding to settle here. And... Uh, at, um, my cultural frame of reference really was that I was English at least when he was 21. I traveled to Saudi Arabia and got the biggest culture shock of my life. I can imagine. But I fell in love with the anarchy of it all. Sorry? I can imagine being Saudi Arabia being a real culture shock. Well, Saudi in the 80s was um, <clears throat> even more than now. Saudi in the 80s was um, a very interesting place to be. And one of the charming things about it was that if you stopped at a roundabout and the guy behind you was in a hurry, he would just nudge you into the roundabout. <laughs> All right, and that has changed a little bit, I think. I don't think the driving is that much better than it used to be, but uh, certainly for someone who's never been out of Europe to, to hit Saudi Arabia, it was one of the strangest and most anarchic experiences of my life, and I was instantly in love. I can I can imagine you were instantly in love. That, I don't think that happens to everyone uh, when they hit the Middle East or Saudi Arabia, more specifically. And then, what made you settle on Dubai? Um, it was a no-brainer, really. Um, the, the printing infrastructure here for a publishing company, because that's what I was doing at the time, was here. And uh, Dubai always provided, or the UAE provided, the the best way of living for anybody looking at the Middle East. Um, although I enjoyed visiting Saudi Arabia from the UK, um, it's not the world's most pleasant place when you realize there are other places around it. And so... Bahrain was always a very lovely place to visit, mm-hmm. but the UAE had the transport, the telecommunications infrastructure, and you know, even back in 1993, it had the lifestyle. It had what you wanted uh, for yourself from your life. Yeah, that makes uh, makes good sense, and it makes good sense. I think that's very addicting, isn't it? 
Yeah, it can be. I mean, what, part of what's kept me here is the breakneck pace of uh, the development, and it's a very difficult place to get bored in. There's always something happening, uh, and I've always travelled around the region as well. So, you know, if you do find yourself overburdened by the the bling and glitz of Dubai, um, the surrounding Emirates are actually much calmer places. Then there are countries like Jordan and Lebanon and Egypt to visit. Um, so the, the whole experience has been one of remarkable diversity for me, and I feel very, very privileged. Okay, that's that's that word diversity is a nice bridge because that's sort of how we uh, we met, quote unquote. I, was, I saw you on a um, uh, a British documentary which was shot about I think seven years ago, like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, about the luxury lifestyle in Dubai, and you were um, you were in part of that documentary. There you spoke, I think, about the the clash of cultures, the two cultures that were uh, either living side by side or at occasionally were clashing. What was that all about? Can you elaborate a little bit? I think there was, there was, a, there was a period in Dubai's history. I mean, Dubai has always been remarkably open. Um, the, the current ruler's father started the practice of granting people land and citizenship from around the Emirates and even sometimes around the region. Mm-hmm. And this idea that you bring in expatriate workers because you couldn't, you didn't have the human resources to do it all by yourself. And he was on a breakneck journey to expand this place. And... Um, so, so this place has always attract, attracted expatriates from around the world. Whatever skills aren't here, um, they'll fill by bringing people in. And so it's always had as, as part of its inherent culture, this idea of expatriates and, and nationals. And those expatriates come from, I think, 220 countries in total. Mm-hmm. So here, more than anywhere else in the world, you're sitting on one, the tectonic plate of culture between the east and the west Mm -hmm. this is where it happens this is where it rubs this is where callow europeans could meet the labor practices of india and bangladesh and find them so difficult to come to terms with Mm -hmm. and it's always much easier when we're sitting on our fancy apple forgetting the workers that are killing themselves in the factories making them than it is to actually have to face the laborer working in those conditions so there's this idea of this tectonic uh, plate of culture very much exists here So you have uh, people of different classes, people of different resources, people of different religions, people of different ethnic backgrounds mm-hmm. mixing in this huge melting pot. And then at the same time, particularly at the time of that interview, you had the issue of changes in attitudes here. In the, in the old days, which is a, an old expat saying, and back in the old days, everything was made out of roses. <laughs> But uh, in the old days here, the relationship between an Emirati and myself would be defined as that as guest and host. Right. And, and you, you, you yourself being the British then? Me myself being the British, or, or an expatriate in general, okay. the guest and host relationship works out. The Emirati is, is my host and has obligations to me as my host, mm-hmm. as I do towards him or her as a guest. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, you wouldn't expect a guest in your house to set fire to the carpet, and I wouldn't expect my host to keep me locked in the cellar. Yep. Um, those, those relationships were breaking down by about 2007, 2008, because of the influx of people, particularly Brits, who came out here with an attitude that they were still in the UK and seemed to have forgotten the fact this is still a foreign country, this is still an Islamic country, this is still a country where you don't actually own everything and have all the rights to everything. There are some rights there that you need to learn about and there are some behaviors there that you need to learn if you're going to stay out of trouble here. I think we were losing that a little bit and that was causing some problems. Okay, and what kind of problems was that causing? Because the Brits then came in into Dubai with this maybe, if, put a, uh, a strong word with it, a colonial attitude if you want? 
not even not even colonial, just ignorant. And I think one of the things in the earlier days of my, my time here, the communities were small enough and growing slowly enough for people to become um, society, you know, people network and people explain to you how you do this and how you do that and why this is against the law and why. And that suddenly disappeared in this sort of huge influx of people mm-hmm. who thought they were still in the UK. And that was actually causing some problems in terms of Emirati attitudes towards expats and in terms of um, expat attitudes towards Emiratis. And when I say expats, I mean, I mean mostly the Brits. Yeah. Everybody else was kind of yeah. getting on with it. Yeah. So, but so there's yeah. two interesting areas there. There's that, that period, which is now that's died down a little bit. And, and there are more people here now who've had a little bit of time to put their feet under the table to get used to the place and to learn that it's not actually Croydon they're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what kind of problems was it actually causing then back in the in in the days? Um, just just problems of understanding. It would be um, there would be people who fall foul of the law. There would be uh, people behaving in extraordinary ways, dressing in extraordinary ways, and causing enormous amount of offence amongst Emiratis, who are very generally very very tolerant indeed. Yeah. So there are a number of things, and and. Uh, generally, the place just stopped being as happy as it used to be. Yep. Yeah, makes makes good sense. Is there what would you be able to? Uh, what would you indicate as being the biggest cultural difference between, between the Brits and the Emiratis? Between Brits and Emiratis, um, yeah, I'd say probably a Brit thing more than all expatriates. But to, to a certain extent, now things have calmed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. That that that's sort of gone. Okay. We can go back to examining the more interesting cultural areas, which is how 220 nationalities coexist happily, rather than just worrying about how Brits behave. Are you is that are you sure that this is a happily co- coexistence? I mean, if you think about the stratification of the workforce in Dubai, uh, this is very black and white and rough. What I'm going to say here is that the owners are the Emiratis, the management is is uh, is British, and the workforce tends to be Indian or Filipino. Is that am I way off now? I, I think that's that's a picture the media's liked to to paint uh, in order to get it on a T-shirt or a bumper sticker. <laughs> I think it's much more nuanced than that. I mean, you probably find nowhere else in the world where there are so many Indian millionaires who mm-hmm. come here with nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same is true across pretty much every other nationality. Everybody is here because of enlightened self-interest, right the way down to the labourer and the labour camp. He is here because it's better to work in a labor camp in Dubai than to work in a tannery in Dakar. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's, um, the, that's the trade-off. It's not 100% good where he is in Dubai, but w- if he would have been in Bangladesh, he would have been worse off. We, we might find as, as European, but the truth of the matter is that there's nobody here who's not here who's better off. Yeah. Okay. That makes, uh, that makes good sense. What is, um, what is life currently like in Dubai? I mean, we're talking 2014 at the end of it. That's right. Um, we've kind of been through our global financial crisis. Um, things have picked up again. Um, the economy is on the rise. Companies are in profitability. Real estate projects have started and restarted. There's perhaps more regulation in place now than there was back in the boom. Mm-hmm. And there's more infrastructure in place now than there was back in the boom. So you could arguably say that we're restarting things much better off and better placed for growth moving forwards. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of hope around here. This has probably been one of the better places to be in the world over the last few years, but we have been through a recession and people a lot of people have lost money on real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now there's a lot of optimism. We're looking forward to Expo 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, so things are pretty peachy. 
Okay. Well, that sounds uh, that sounds very sunny and bright as the weather is like. Is it? Um, do we have a here? And we, I mean, the West uh, or Western Europe, and maybe maybe the United States or, or North America, where the majority of the listeners uh, to this podcast is, uh, are living. Do we have the wrong perception of the Middle East in general, not specifically Dubai? Um, probably. Probably is the case, but then the Middle East in general is such a hodgepodge of things anyway. You've got a mixture of war zones, failed states, people just trying to get on with their lives and surrounded by misery and unrest. And so I think, you know, the perception of the Middle East is some sort of homogeneous problem area full of fanatics. I think that would be incorrect if people had that perception. Mm-hmm. I think what I find a lot is people just shut off when it comes to the Middle East. And when you look at somewhere like the UAE, and particularly in Dubai, which is such a beacon of hope to people across the region, there's, there's no doubt about it, like it or lump it. Dubai is somewhere where people from all over the Middle East come to live and work because it's preferable to their own homes. Mm-hmm. And there are quite a few people living here who probably never feel they'll be able to go back to their homes. You know, there are Palestinian communities here and so on who've, who've come from very little and mm-hmm. found opportunity here. Um, so I think the perception of Dubai is that it's black and white, you know, fat expats and, and sweating laborers. I think that's a wrong perception. I think the perception of Dubai is, you know, part of the, the Al-Qaeda network and that all Arabs and all Arab countries are terrorists. I think that's a misperception. But I meet so many misconceptions, it's hard to actually characterize them because they come at you from left and right field. It's like a smorgasbord of mis- misconception when you meet mm-hmm. people who, who've never come to the region yep. and who've only seen it through the, the, the lens of mass media who oversimplify it and mischaracterize it to suit their own desire to create a story. And it used to make me angry. It doesn't anymore. I'm far too old for that. <laughs> is, it, is it somewhat comparable to um, something that I always frown upon? Is that when um, Americans, they talk about uh, European culture, while you and I know being European, there is no such thing as a European culture. There is a lot of diversity there in Europe as well. And the same holds true for the Middle East. Yeah, I think that, that, that is very much the case. And there, there is huge diversity. Um, and and um, there, there are remarkable cultures at work within and across the region. Mm-hmm. There's the, the expat culture of here. There's the Emirati culture, which um, is all too easy to miss when you're, you're spending two weeks in one of the beachside hotels. Yes. But um, and there, across the rest of the Arab world, there are remarkable differences in culture. I mean, and there are remarkable places to visit. The vibrancy and sexiness of Beirut is very, very hard to overstate. That city is just a wow. Mm. Um, Amman and Jordan, and it is Bedouin culture. And, and yeah, the whole region's got so much to offer. And I think one of the things people tend to do is just write it off and, and stick that label, the Middle East, on it. And whatever the Middle East is, I'm not interested in it. And I... I I abrogate it. I think that's a shame. Yes, it's scary and it goes boom, something like that. Yes, very much. (laughs) Ages ago, I I worked with um, Disney on magazine publishing. Yeah. And I had the chance to meet some of the artists working in Paris and ask them why it was that every cartoon that featured the Middle East, the locals were always thick-lipped, big-nosed people with goatee beards, a Sharifian headdress and a gun. (laughs) And the, the artist I was talking to was genuinely devastated because he'd been drawing out this trope and strip after strip and never stopped to think about the fact that actually the people that he's drawing might take exception to that. Yeah. Which yeah. rather amazed me. 
Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, we're quite short-sighted, I guess. Most of us, um, to that extent. Is you mentioned that there is a um, a good feel of optimism currently in in Dubai. I think we all know that Dubai doesn't have the oil. It's Abu Dhabi that has the oil, or, and or Saudi Arabia. What if we are independent of oil? Is is Dubai still going to exist? Of course, it'll exist, yes, you know, but in the, within the within the size and and growth, etc., of it that is currently going through. I think I think it will, and I think that has been the case for some time now. I think oil is now um, three or four points of GDP. It's certainly way under ten. Yeah. Um, so it's a tiny percent of the the trade. What what happened here? Uh, the old man Sheikh Rashid had this vision of diversification, of, of building a trading economy on what oil he had before it ran out, mm-hmm. and I think he's been proven true there. Uh, the success of DP World and the logistics operations in shipping, the success of Emirates and the logistics operations in airlines have created that hub. And uh, if you took oil away, apart from the fact we need it for the aeroplanes and the ships, this place would carry on here. That's what you think, yes. It, what's the what's the trick to be successful? Because you said there you will find more Indian millionaires in, in the Middle East or in Dubai than potentially in India. What's the trick to be successful there? I'm not sure about potentially India, but certainly potentially anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is a place that rewards entrepreneurialism. You can have an idea and make it work here. Um, and over the breakneck expansion of this city from being a few mud huts by a creek in the 1950s yes. to being what it is today, a lot of people have made a lot of money. And they haven't necessarily all been Brits by any means. In fact, most haven't been. The Indian community here has had a number of remarkable successes Um, this has always been a great transshipment location. So if you've got the idea of taking white goods from Tanzania and, I don't know, uh, medications from Russia and trading those through Dubai, Mm -hmm. then you can do that and you can make your money and you can become very successful indeed in a short space of time. Is it? I would I would think, but that uh, that's also short-sighted, that there's there's relatively a lot of corruption when you want to do this kind of work. I haven't experienced it myself. There have been instances where the government has moved very, very quickly um, against corruption within the government infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Whether there is in, in big industry and in trade, I, I don't think any great trading economy would be free of corruption. Um, but certainly there have been instances. In fact, there was just this week um, a real estate agency a company owned by the government called DR. The CEO was found guilty of corruption and sentenced to 10 years in jail. So... Um, I, it's not. It's not. It's not inherent within the trading economy of here that everything is corrupt. I'm sure it exists, but I think Dubai is relatively clean as far as that kind of thing goes. Okay. Maybe corrupt is the wrong word. How about uh, nepotism? If I mean, if I know you and you're connected, and then you're connected, your connection is connected, etc. So I'll get more done more than it, and then what we might have in the individualistic West. Uh, that's just the capitalist economy for you. Uh, the individualistic West works on uh, nepotism as well. That's why people play golf and go to uh, clubs together. Mm. That's how all trade works. It's connections. It's people connections as well as physical connections. And, and of course, uh, that's going to be part of the, 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 the framework. You're going to make as many contacts as you can, as many friends as you can, and sell them as much stuff as you can. Which is business, basically. You, you may- um, Which is business, basically. Yeah. Uh, some people said, you know, well, the government here is... Um, sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. I was just, um, you know, the idea that the, the, the rule here is maintained by sort of paternalism and um, that sort of um, approach to governance. 
actually, no, it's a welfare state. It's just that their society is slightly different structure to ours. Um, The idea is not to buy off criticism. The idea is genuinely to make the people the happiest people in the world. It's something that Shane Mohammed has stated on a number of occasions. That's his aim. And one of the things that the expat infrastructure here does is we all contribute towards really funding that. Mm. And if you've got a small state with limited resources and you want to make something of it, there are actually worse models than that one. Yeah. Is, is, uh, you mentioned that Dubai are, and the Emiratis are very liberal. Is Dubai as open and free as it seems? And if not, what are some examples of it not maybe not being that open? It generally is tolerant, but there's a sort of unwritten law to that tolerance, which is that this is a Muslim country. Mm-hmm. Its people do have very traditional society and values. Um, we're actually pretty much free to do what we want, as long as it's not being shoved in everybody's faces. Yeah. Um, and that's and what you sometimes find is that people fall foul of that, mm-hmm. and they do stuff in people's faces, and then suddenly the police get involved. And we've had, you know, these sex on the beach sort of incidents where um, that's been very high profile in the British media. But then sometimes you'll find people asking pertinent questions like, if I had sex on the beach in Brighton, would the police be called? Yes, I guess they would as well. Yeah. It's, um, um, so, yeah. But there have been people who've fallen terribly far of the law, mostly through not knowing what the law is. And for instance, there's zero tolerance of drugs. And that, that's just very, very clear. Yes, they're relatively tolerant to alcohol, but zero tolerance to, towards drugs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, for instance, um, if you're not married and you check into a hotel, nobody's going to ask you about that. But if you set fire to the room and the police are called and they find you're not married, you'll be on a charge for that. Mm-hmm. So that, that sort of grey area of tolerance can also be seen to be a grey area of hypocrisy. Yeah, okay. Makes good sense. What, 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 is, what is the best thing uh, for you about living in Dubai? Ha, it's tax-free. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask how much tax, but tax-free is really tax-free. There's no tax done. That's it. Nothing. There's no income tax here. Um, is that the best thing about it? I guess not. For me personally, um, I was talking to some Emirati colleagues about uh, how you behave in London because of your physical, personal safety yeah. and the safety of your goods. And they were genuinely aghast because... I walk around here with my wallet in my back pocket and I've occasionally forgotten to leave my car locked Mm -hmm. and my wallet stays in my back pocket and my car stays on the road. Yeah, yeah. As you you would like it back home and back home in the UK uh, possibly as well. Is there anything... As you would like it, but you can't find it. Okay. (laughs) Is there there anything you miss from from the UK, from the island? No, I don't think so. I mean, in the early days, in the 80s and 90s when I was traveling around... You'd find expats going crazy because the supermarkets run out of marmite mm-hmm. and they'd be sharing uh, recipes on how to make your own marmite in a pressure cooker <laughs> uh, or baked beans or Walker's crisps or this kind of silly thing yeah. that, you, that you miss when you can't have it. But of course, the supply chain is such now that all these things are here. Yes. Um, no, I miss rain sometimes. Okay. You miss rain sometimes. That's really that's really interesting to hear that from coming from a Brit. But then again, of course, you live in uh, in Dubai. Um, it's the with what cultures would you work best, Alexander? I, I've had the privilege of working for the past fifteen years uh, in the majority with uh, Arab female colleagues, and they have provided me with a great deal of joy. Um, the, the the Middle East, generally, as I said before, is is remarkably diverse and, and has so much to recommend it and so sharing their 
home cultures and their views and cultures and, and the way that our cultures work and don't work together with them has been a fascinating journey for me which has never been anything less than fascinating can you give so, an example a story um, for instance um, I found it very difficult one time checking into a hotel in Jordan because I just left one of my colleagues behind in tears because the Israelis had bombed the power station in Beirut yeah. and her house overlooked the power station and she couldn't get through on the phone didn't know if her family had survived or not and I checked in in Jordan next to an Israeli gentleman and it was only by with some effort that I managed to keep my mouth shut because I realized that just because he was Israeli didn't mean he was responsible for the bombing raid sure. but then when you left a female colleague in tears because she's worried about her family, you do tend to feel rather emotional about it. I can imagine. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a harsh story indeed. Uh, so that's relatively easy. What is a difficult culture for you to work uh, within the Middle East or in Dubai? Ooh, I don't know if there is a difficult culture. I, I couldn't say that any one culture has been particularly difficult. I do remember many, many years ago, I had a meeting with two Indian gentlemen. I, I could not get my point across. Um, however I put it, however I rephrased it, I still wasn't getting myself understood. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been pussyfooting around things rather. So I said, look, if you don't mind, excuse me, but um, I'm English, so I'm going to be blunt. And yep. they said, don't worry, we're Indian. We're used to it. <laughs> Oh goodness! Did you both have a, had a All have a big smile? Pardon? All you could hear was the sound of me crashing in flames. Yes, I can imagine. You didn't laugh about this. This was actually this is really a really good response. Actually, it wasn't bad at all. No. I, I think the British and Indian communities here. Um, probably provide the most fun in terms of misunderstandings and so on. Yeah. Um, one very good example is people from southern India. Um, don't like people who are rude and when they encounter rudeness mm. tend to giggle nervously mm. and when an Eng- angry English person is facing a person from South India who's done something to him or disconnected his telephone or mm. something else and the English person is remonstrating with the Indian person and the Indian person is giggling yeah. the results of that can sometimes be very messy I can imagine <laughs> there's a total miscommunication there um, total miscommunication. the other thing is with Emiratis The Emiratis have a culture of respect. Yes. Uh, it, it's innate with them. It's interwoven in their society. They're immensely respectful people within their own society. And it's very easy to show them disrespect without sometimes even intending to. Okay. How do you show respect and how, how, what is the slightest, what is the minimum thing that you need to do to show disrespect? Um, criticize the leadership. Uh, that's not, you know, we, again, in Europe, we're, we're used to a very black and white view of the world where... Um, I would not praise David Cameron even if I had some grudging regard for him because that would just be so unfashionable it's not true yeah. um, the, the opposite is true here so for instance if I was in a group of Emiratis and was rude about their leadership mm-hmm. they would take enormous exception to that so it's not, it's not that this society is toadying or cronyistic or cronyistic, can you say cronyistic or, 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 or full of cronyism mm-hmm. there's a genuine respect And that's that's not only to the leadership, but that's to older people, to people of, of standing. Right. Uh, and right. It, it's it's easy to crash that in, unless you're aware of it. Yeah. So it's, it, there's not only respect to uh, to the Sheikh Mohammed, but it's also to uh, if you want lower levels underneath that. Yeah, you know, yeah, this idea with the Japanese that they they bow lower to each other depending on which one works for the bigger company. Yes. Um, you've got elements of that in society here where somebody of great standing, whether that's as a religious figure or as a business figure or as a figure within society as, as a whole, right. Um, right. You, you defer to them and show them respect. Okay. 
All right, makes uh, makes good sense. Um, I want to sort of sidetrack slightly uh, because I know you're also a writer and um, you write novels, don't you? Yes. Okay, are your novels based on any truth? Can you give us some titles first and then maybe my question, it makes more sense. So what, what kind of titles have you written? Three series uh, novels so far, Olives, A Violent Romance, Beirut, um, An Explosive Thriller, and Shemlan, A Deadly Tragedy. Okay, so there's three <coughs> books, and they all, they all sort of revolve uh, or happen within the Middle East? Yeah, Olives is set in uh, Jordan, yeah. uh, Beirut, funnily enough, is set in Beirut. Of course. Um, and then Shemlan is set uh, partly in Beirut and partly in Estonia. Okay, are they based on any truth? Um, the Based on situations and, and people and, and, and things that I've been aware of, uh, I mean, Olives, Olives, my first novel, was um, is about a British journalist that goes to live and work in Jordan for a year to produce a magazine for the government there and gets himself into trouble and ends up being spied on by British intelligence and having to betray the woman he falls in love with. That That's based on my views of callow young Brits and, and was, a, a, was an attempt to try and portray the Palestinian story and the conflict between Jordan, Palestine and Israel in a way that made a Europe, that exposed a European sensibility to the issues there. It's, it's not that a James a Bond story. story. It's not a very James Bond story. It's got James Bondy bits, but okay. it's, um, uh, it's not, it's not all quite, um, Baddies with white cats, no. Right, right. right. If, um, if people want to uh, read up, if you want, on, on the Middle East in general, would your books be a, um, a good starting point in terms of, not factual, but in a novel uh, expression, and then you know, mixing in the, the novel, the fiction that you've written uh, with the, uh, the real actual background culture? I think one of the things that I intended to do when I wrote Olives was do just that. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of comments from readers, particularly in America, who found they've enjoyed the story and have picked up quite a lot of the fluff I left behind for them to pick up. Yes. So that was kind of good. Okay, excellent. Um, because if you enjoy a book like that without feeling lectured, then it's a win-win for us both. Um, yes. I've got my point across and you've had a good read. Absolutely. It's the, uh, I'll put the, um, the three books, the links to that. I, I guess they're, amaz they're uh, available in, uh, in the Kindle store and Amazon as well, I reckon. Um, available from Amazon as an ebook or print. Okay, both. Okay, I'll put a, a link in the show notes for to all these uh, books so you can have a look and check those books out. And you can find the show notes, of course, back at culturematters.com and click on, a, click on a podcast tab or otherwise do a search for Alexander and he'll pop right up. Last two questions, Alexander. Um, this is usually a difficult one, but let's see where we go. Can you give us three tips, us the audience, three tips to become more culturally competent? To be more culturally competent. What um, should we do? Maybe so, more specifically to the Middle East or Dubai, if you want, if that makes it somewhat easier. I think one of the things that, particularly if you're looking at Dubai, people tend to, to jet in and, and stay in one of the big five-star hotels and do the shopping malls and the, the Burj Al Khalifa, the, the sites. Mm -hmm. um, actually take some time out and go somewhere like Satwa or Karama, where people are actually living street life and eating street food and... and, and Spend some time in those areas, the, the, the creek side in Dubai where the, the Dao trade still happens today mm. is a remarkable place to spend sunset just wandering 
and getting a feel for the mix of people and culture in this place that's there in your face right there it's very easy to be cut off from it here mm -hmm. so i think for me it's always been a case of live with people eat with people socialize with people and you get to learn more about them and and in my experience always like them more okay it, it, are, are those the, the the remaining two tips or is this just number one uh, let's let's take that as the remaining two as well. <laughs> okay, all right. I need to listen back to the interview then and put them in the show notes. That's uh, that's great. You you summarized it really nice. Um, you eat with people. Um, what 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 did you say? There were three things you mentioned. Um, eat with them, socialize with them, and live with them. Okay, eat with them, socialize um, with them, and live with them. That makes uh, that makes really good sense. Alexander, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do this? Invariably, the best way is always Twitter, at Alexander McNabb. Okay, that works, because that's how I got in touch with you. You can find that back uh, as well in the show notes at culturematters.com, and then go to the podcast section of that site. Alexander McNabb, thank you very much for taking the time in your sunny Dubai, looking down on the World Trade Center. What level uh, are you? What floor, currently? Uh, I'm currently sitting on the 40th floor. 40th, okay, that's not... You can go higher than that in the, uh, in the, in the Burj Khalifa, I guess. Thanks so much for taking the time, and I'm sure... Yes, you can. Much... I basically can take that too. Yes? Sorry. No, it's a bit, there's a bit of an over, overlap. So how, how far up can you go to the, the Burj Khalifa? I'm not sure how many floors it is, but it's 830 meters. Okay, that's high enough for me. That beats the... But for the record, I've never been up. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you again for taking the time. I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future. Smashing. Thank you, Chris. Bye. Thank you, Alexander, for the interview. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Alexander McNabb, the Culture Matters podcast. Everything that we talked about, you can find back in the show notes. Just go to culturematters.com and type in the search bar, Alexander. You'll get right to the interview and to the show notes as well. If you like this podcast, then I'd be really um, appreciating if you would be able to leave me a review and a rating. Go to iTunes. You can do that right there. I'll be back in two weeks' time with yet another interview. Thank you. Take care. Bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.